0: I continue to create for myself the opportunities for self-education, not by reading the books and again getting the no, 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 don't do this, do this, et cetera, but by receiving opportunities to naturally feel and sense my mistakes and as well other areas which are more clicking into place.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Muslim Intelligence Podcast. Today's podcast is perhaps one of the best conversations I've had in many, many years. And that's not hyperbole. Um, if you're into understanding human dynamics, if you're into understanding human movement, if you've been a fan of this podcast, this guest is in perfect alignment with everything I preach about, and he does it in a much more eloquent way. Um, Ido Portalo joins me today. You may recognize Ido. From his time working with Connor McGregor as a movement expert, he's an incredible movement genius. Um, and he may get angry at me for saying that, but he is also just an incredible intellectual with amazing, amazing insights and depth that is uh, just seldom found in common society. And this, as I said, um, went in a lot of different directions. We talk a lot about movement. We talk a lot about the thought behind movement. We talk a lot about how you can optimize movement and ultimately how Edo has helped some of the best people in the world, the best athletes in the world to optimize how they move, what benefits you might see from improve, improving your movement practice, and maybe the things you might be missing in your movement practice that you should absolutely be thinking about. And now enjoy the show with the incredible, the talented Ido Portell. I was a very, very uh, capable athlete as a child and then pursued bodybuilding. So different, different direction. And now uh, just completely resonate with your your mindset around movement, right? Is it becomes so linear, it becomes so constrained. And I've spent the last five years unwinding 20 years of professional bodybuilding, right? So I retired in 2016, um, st- started pursuing yoga pretty pretty rigor- rigorously because that's the only path I knew. That was like, oh, yoga feels like it's it's unwinding bodybuilding. So it, it opened up my mobility quite a bit. But as you would say, it, it ended up being still pretty rigid, right? It wasn't, it wasn't as dynamic. It wasn't as athletic as I'd like it to be. And then I started moving on this path of like seeing yourself and, and starting to understand, okay, like what does this look like for me to, to get into things that are a little more organic? And I, I love to just start with the simple question is, what is movement to you? Because uh, I, think, I think having that clear definition to start off our
0: conversation just would be so powerful. It's a question I get a lot. I try to address it with every day, (laughs) every day, every practice and yeah, a lot of moments of each day. I think as a concept, it's a concept that crosses so many different layers and that's why it's so confusing Um, because it's almost synonymous with a lot of those big words like being. it's, It's very much related to time and space, also very related to To the opposite to the stillness that uh, is in its background and then we have of course physical movement which is uh, something that we use a lot these days uh, when we mention this word but i'm i'm working with more than just physical movement i try to apply it across the board uh, into many other layers movement of thoughts movement of emotions that's such a big and diverse concept it's all it's 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 related to an act of observation, it's related to metabolism, to breath, not not physical breath only, but to the breathing of everything around us, mm. expansion, contraction. That's why it's very difficult to address it or to discuss it directly, but you have to apply it into a specific layer: movement of the joint, movement of the body or a movement of, a, of another physical phenomenon or not physical phenomenon, etc. Where's your mind when you move? Well, it depends where, it's first, where it should be and where it is. <laughs> Those are two different things. When you are truly busy with the movement, the mind is carried with it. It's not so much performing it from my experience and my, my observation of it, but it is more carried by it. So in a way, the future creates the past or, or the observation creates the observed. Those are perceived as when we are in tune, when we are in good movement. It happens to us. It moves through us. And then the mind is perfectly still on the on that movement.
1: But it almost sounds like... Like uh, Stephen Kotler would prescribe or describe as flow, or, or ultimately Mihalchik sent me high would would describe as as a flow state.
0: I think that a lot of those uh, definitions and uh, observations come from the same the same need and the same uh, observation, just different terminologies, yeah, definitely
1: so again, another high level question, why do you move, and so where I'm going with that is. I think anyone listening has never explored anything in their life to the depth that you explore movement. And when they start movement, they won't start where you start. They're going to start with, you know, as you you would say, big frame, small frame, right? They're going to start big frame, where's your small frame. And now after moving for, you know, coming up, you know, 40 years of, of intentional movement, I would say you've
0: been doing it for a very, very long time. Why do you move now? Moving, I don't have a choice. We are moving as we are here we are moving right now it's more aligning with the nature of that movement or not what i try to to do is to be as whole as i can with the movement that i am in the moving through life sitting in a chair walking lifting weights those are just opportunities to align with it and also it can be very Fractioned, very de-associated where we are doing something but many aspects of ourselves are not aligned with that movement so that that's the reason that i'm trying to address movement to move i must move as i'm here as i am going through this life i am going through this reality but i'm trying to align more and more uh, as i can with that movement the nature of that movement
1: love that. And it sounds like it starts with presence, right? It starts, as you say, with being present in the moment. And it feels like there would be a depth to that presence, right? Same idea, big frame, small frame. Someone who's barely paying attention to these big frame movements, their depth of attention or depth of presence is very shallow. Or someone like yourself, who's getting into what we all call the small frame movements, requires, it almost necessitates a different depth of presence. Does that sound accurate?
0: Yeah but depth can hint of degrees where it is more in all different directions. There is no better directly, there is more aware as those frames become closer and closer together and ultimately become more as a continuous flow of presence. But our mind tends to take snapshots especially the the intellectual property, the cognitive property, as we're thinking about our movement, we are not being in movement, we are thinking about movement. That's a a step, a beginner step in becoming more and more in tune. And that narrows down these frames until they are becoming more and more continuous or one flow of attention and presence. So it's not necessarily deeper, it can be also shallower, but it is whole. It is present in more and more and more aspects, as well as more and more and more points in the time frame on the timeline. Hey,
1: everybody! Just a quick interruption to this podcast from a message from our sponsors. Our sponsor today is Organifi. You guys have heard me talking about Organifi Green and Red for a long time. I've been drinking it every day. Typically, it's been post-workout lately. And sometimes I even bring the red intra workout to increase my pumps and just give me a little bit of sugar that I need to keep that high performance going allows me to recover effectively and just make sure I cover my bases. Organified greens and reds are dehydrated, high quality vegetables and superfoods and fruits that ultimately allow you to get access to all the nutrients your body needs to thrive. Organified juice and adaptogenic blend powders, as well as supplements to support immunity digestion, and detoxification. Uh, Organifi is 100% organic and offers something for truly for everyone. They're clinically proven adaptogenic ingredients. Um, are, uh, they taste amazing and incredibly effective. So head over to Organifi.com slash muscle. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash muscle to get hooked up with 20% off your order. And that's everything store-wide, whether you get the greens, the reds, the gold, the proteins. They've also got some delicious proteins that I suggest you check out as well. But at very least, if you're going to choose one or choose two, definitely, definitely, definitely grab the greens and the reds. And uh, if you're feeling adventurous, go ahead and grab their gold, which I promise you will not regret. Uh, Organify.com slash muscle. Back to the show. Is your movement thought process been influenced in any way by tai chi because it feels like at points where the concept of moving energy gets pulled into what you do like when when you move it it looks somewhere between you know a graceful movement and a dance and tai chi and this 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 almost feels like a, like a flow of of energy a flow of chi. Is that something you've ever considered
0: yeah i i definitely looked into tai chi and uh, research tai chi tries to achieve the same the same goal it's a transformative practice, aiming to bring this continuous presence in motion uh, with every step along the way. And and it does that through very basic movement, the very basic movements, um, kind of like original movement forms. For example, if you can take a step um, that is more original, that is more basic than doing uh, an elaborate dance move. And then each step is comprised of going up and down and comprised of a certain rotation that appears. So those are even more basic subatomic level original forms. And that's the process of Tai Chi. Other methods, somatic practices, like for example, Moshe Feldenkrais, he tried to achieve the same through his instruction. And, and, And it goes on and on. It's all speaking of the same process. Focusing and having certain pros and cons due to that focus. For example, Tai Chi is very good with achieving certain aspects of that quality, but then it's very bad with other aspects of that quality, which is often not addressed, which is often not mentioned, because in those fields, the perception is very enclosed. There is a, there is a, a culture of practice and a way of practice that gets more and more specialized even when you are trying to approach something general and a, a good example of that is the amazing balance that the tai chi practitioner has put them on a slack line and you'll expose immediately what is there what is not there in terms of balance change the scenario then take a tightrope walker or slack line specialist And put him in Tai Chi and have him just take basic steps on the floor and you'll see that even in something so basic, there will not be the depth of balance and knowledge of movement that the Tai Chi practitioner has. And that's why I try to practice in in a more open way because I don't wish to achieve this specialized result or this specialized result, not the Ido portal result or not the Tai Chi result, but I wish to examine the concept itself. So keep changing the, the container. That's the way for me.
1: I love that. And I think that's great awareness for everyone out there to acknowledge is like no matter what you're doing, no matter how far you can take that singular thing, like the basketball player being really good at basketball, the better you get at that one thing, the more it kind of constrains you because you're within that container. And and your concept seems to be like, well, eliminate the container, learn how to move within every small frame imaginable, whatever comes in front of you. Now it then it becomes I think, curiosity and play uh, at the
0: root of it all. Definitely. That's probably my most fundamental and and, and my basic attribute that that drives everything in my life It's curiosity. One little correction is that I don't try to eliminate the container because I must use the containers. But I keep switching the containers in such a way that allows me Both to receive some of the benefits of that specific container, but not become overly specialized with it. And then it's time to switch the container again, but keep the same content. So the content will be addressed across so many different containers. You have a better chance of actually grasping the content. Why don't I eliminate the container? Because it's impossible. The content must be carried by a container. Right. And the container is a a form of practice and exercise a task a technique and i need those just like everyone else needs them i just try not to get stuck on them too much
1: that's great so you mentioned earlier that this this um, awareness around emotions and how that's tied into movement, and I'm I'm curious. Well, maybe if you could draw the bridge there for us, because I, I I know I feel I know where you're going, but I don't know if the audience would draw a direct correlation between you know someone at your level who is able to move through you know undulate through such nuanced movement, and how that ultimately influences your emotional states, and how someone else may experience emotional release or catharsis or, or whatever it may be from um, some expression of movement?
0: Okay. Those are great questions. You're really firing at me, but uh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed those questions. Yeah. First, let me offer something. When you are mentioning my work or, or my, my way of doing, I would avoid to, to put any type of a level on it or a quality. Because the more I practice, the more I'm convinced that I'm of no level, of a very low level, let's say, and I think that's probably a big strength of the way that I practice. It's a little bit you have nowadays in in the martial arts world, as we became more, as it became bigger something like grappling or MMA. And people in there are being humbled daily. You see those practitioners are much more humble than sometimes the traditional martial artists, which don't get humbled daily. So I'm one of those who get humbled daily. If you will watch me practice every day, the way that I practice in my personal practice, you won't see anything impressive most of the time. Um, because I'm, I'm working through another scenario and again, have to create my observations. And now about your question the movement of emotions and the patterns of emotions. First, I I believe that there is a great confusion about emotions generally. As we address them, we title them, but we don't quite observe them as accurately as we can. And hence, we are under the impression that they manifest on a layer that we refer to as emotional layer. But if we actually observe it, we'll discover that most of these emotions exist as as a form of a physical pattern, plus added some cognition on it, some thought about it uh, that is maybe connecting to the past, past experiences or future fears, etc. So I think most emotions are not really emotions, they're fake emotions. They're actually comprised of other elements. There are other emotions, more, more genuine emotions, but they're more rare. Let's say, and they're actually a good place to to aspire to, to to feel those emotions. For example, genuine gratitude is very difficult to feel, and you'll hear a lot of people say thank you these days. But to feel that that genuine gratitude is is not really a, something that occurs before they say that automatic thank you. Those patterns of emotions they are tied and in, into physical patterns, so they can exist within these. This scenario that occurs in the body and in the mind. So when you're working with movement, you are basically changing the ground, the ground on which emotions hang into and, put, and, and grab into, and you become a lot more pliable and a lot more, a lot more clarity arrives in the way that you feel, in the way that you are able to observe feelings, in the way that they are able to rise and to fall as well. Instead of being kind of just being rattled by that ocean of emotions that many people experience. And I always recommend to people to start with physical observation, because trying to think about emotions just simply doesn't work. As, As most people probably discovered if they tried, Usually, cognition is almost like a lower-level fuel source compared to emotions, which are using much higher fuel source, much more powerful, energetic thing. So, hence, we're trying to fight this very powerful uh, movement inside of us with a very inferior movement. So, when does it work? Usually, when another emotion is used to transform and fight that prior emotion or when physical, instinctual, bodily support arrives. For example, I might get angry and agitated, but if I'm feeling very well, vitality, very energetic, I'll be able to fight a lot of this anger much easier because I have that energetic support coming from the body. In that day, I won't be so agitated, but in a day of low energy, I'll be much more prone to those emotions. The other choice would be to involve another emotion. For example, in some, some places they, they, for, in Buddhism, they use metta, for example, loving kindness, which is a very powerful emotion that can, can be used to, to manipulate other emotions. But the start of the process, what I recommend is to observe physically what is occurring, what is actually occurring. When we say I am agitated or I am sad, we tend to think about that physical sensation, but we don't observe the physical sensation. Where does it manifest? For example, if I'm angry, is it the form of a stomach ache? Is it a pressure in the head? Is it a contraction of certain muscles around the jaw or in the neck? When you observe those things, you allow first you, you create a bit of a deassociation and you allow some separation to occur you don't fuel the fire with more oil and you can start to transform the physical pattern in which this emotion hangs into. And if you transform the physical pattern, the emotion evaporates, it's gone.
1: I love that. And you said uh, disassociate, I was thinking uncouple, right? I was like, just like, yeah, what it sounds like you're saying is many people will feel some type of physical sensation. They'll create a cognitive story around what that sensation actually means. When in reality, we have the ability to push it away, uncouple it, and then change the physical, the physical sensation into something that maybe is um, not going to make us a victim to an, an emotional reaction.
0: Yes, yes. The only thing, again, I would be careful with the word push away because the push away will create an immediate resistance. But if I just observe what is occurring, I don't try to push it away. I don't try to eliminate. That will not work. I just observe the pattern. As I'm observing the pattern and noting it for myself and really looking carefully, I am transforming it without any resistance. And then later on, I will be able to recognize the slow accumulation of that pattern that leads to the emotion later on. And then that would be um, that would be even better because I- I'm now not allowing certain aspects, certain emotions to control me because they have to hang on. They have to climb me, my physical presence, certain tensions in the body, certain patterns. Ida Rolf said the issues are in the tissue. That's what she meant. They have to hang on to something. Emotions are physical. There is nothing that is not physical and there is nothing that is not mental, not that is occurring to us right now here. All these fluctuations, those are movements movements that we call thoughts movements that we call emotions movement that we call physical gestures or physical movements and they manifest also physically as well as in other layers and this is very it's a big mystery but we definitely for me the best starting point is in this physical part this physical part is allowing me not to create any resistance, not to fight anything, and to be very still at the same time active with improving these aspects. It's a lot there. I think
1: in your experience, is it innately human? And I could be wrong, but is it innately human to want to feel something negative? You know, they put a label on something This is negative, and I want to get rid of it. I want to push it away. So there's something there. It sounds like there's something there around... Non judgment, right? Like see, re- receiving what's there, being, being uh, present with what's there and just being like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let it go. That, that may be, there may be a lot of, um, you know, challenge in there for some people or, or uh, maybe a process to get there.
0: Totally. Yeah. And, and all these aspects that you're mentioning, they are there preached in those circles, non attachment, non judgment, because they work, <laughs> mm. because they work and the the fighting, the, the active mindset, the active-active, because we are talking about another type of active, active-passive, where the activity is balanced with a certain passivity. I do not go directly for the effect. This success mindset is a huge problem. and And at a certain point, you just reach a point where you cannot go further. I've, I've experienced certain success in certain areas of my life. This becomes even a bigger trap. So if you are successful to a certain extent, you assume that is con- going to continue to work. But at a certain point, that will not go any further. And you will realize that you've created a huge amount of resistance with every active pursuit of success. A bit disconnecting from that side of things, this success mindset, in its simplistic way, in its overly simplistic way. So I I know a lot of people have issues with it and might even need to crash and burn to hit the bottom of the ocean in order to reach a place where they are willing to try something else. But I encourage you to try, to, to start with something very simple like I'm doing with my students. We are examining it in very simple scenarios, escalating the scenarios as we go along the way as we continue to progress, as we examine it in different containers and different scenarios. It's it's very difficult to be hit in the face in boxing training and to undo this effect that occurs inside. If you cannot deal with bad words being screamed at your face, like uh, it happens, for example, in the military, uh, as you're being uh, talked at, uh, being, uh, you know, Screen that, and those are steps. Those are steps along the way, and I think a lot of people—that's where they they have the issue. If they try to apply this concept, they fail because they try to apply them to, in a too advanced fashion. And we must start with something very basic. Understand how reactive we are. Almost everything to the touch of the floor underneath the feet. From there, we can start to examine, to observe, and to undo.
1: You know that's beautiful. the The success mindset is just so deeply woven into current society that it's just constant pursuit, right? It's like even from the time you're a child, you're rewarded for success. Success. There's wins and there's losses, and teaching, you know, reinstilling the 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 process oriented, the beginner's mind into our culture just it just needs to be there. Like I feel like, I mean, needs to. I I think many people um, see the value. So my speaking of my my specific circumstance, you know, reached the top of the level in, in professional bodybuilding and similar idea. That's all I knew, right? That's all I wanted. And I got there and it was it was this awareness like this is completely empty. This is the ceiling, right? Could I go higher maybe? But this is the ceiling and this is not what I hoped it to be. And now this is what's kind of been the catalyst for this new journey is it's just like the journey is the process, right? Or the process is the journey. And uh learning to exist in the in the small frames, to use your, um, your metaphor, it's just such a great framing. So I'd love for you to actually share what that is because we use that term a couple of times, large frame, small frame, and uh, I don't expect our audience to know that. And so if you wouldn't mind uh, just maybe analyzing that a little bit for us, dissecting that for us because I think that's a, a good bridge.
0: It's a terminology that is used actually in martial arts and I kind of stole it and use it in a different way a little bit. Well, everything has basic element to it, like subatomic particles. Even when, when you recognize this is the atom, there is subatomic particles, and those are comprised of even smaller and smaller entities. So the small frame, big frame, it just brings a certain relationship between two layers, saying here is movement, here is even more basic and more subunit nuance of maybe. big, yeah, more nuanced movement. And the focus that I try to draw is that people are attracted to the, to the big bells and whistles, to the, those big movements, just like they're attracted to the big bodies, the big muscular bodies. But actually those big movements are comprised of very small movements that very few people care about. And when you care about these small movements, you naturally get the big movement because it's comprised of the small movements. But if you just go for the big movement, you'll discover that you don't, the control that you think you have outside of that specific movement. And that's where the illusion is. For example, Michael Jordan was a great mover. Michael Jordan was not a great mover. Michael Jordan was a great basketball player. And when he tried to become a baseball player, he couldn't actually make that work on on the same level. He's still very gifted and probably above average in many aspects of movement. But what it goes to show us is the fact that you are able to address all that needs to be addressed in basketball movements doesn't mean that you can address them if you change the ball to a smaller ball and the scenario to a different scenario. Not to talk about being a dancer, an acrobat, Or, or you know, any or a sailor, whatever, and that's where the focus for me um, became smaller and smaller on original forms, basic subatomic forms of movement that are comprising all the big techniques. That's a big pursuit. It doesn't mean that you immediately receive everything, that I can be great at everything, but it does bring a certain knowledge into things that you've never done. And this is why I started it. I I, I used to say, you're good at what you do. That's not a problem. Everybody does that. But can you be good at what you don't do? That's actually a much better pursuit. Mm. Not to slowly, slowly practice in, in your house, hiding away from others, but really to address it for the first time, for me, that's a very good test or a mover. And you'll you'll be surprised. Some people, which are considered great movers because they were great athletes, are actually very poor movers. And other people who you would not think twice about will actually show proficiency across many different scenarios. Yeah, and so that's a little bit touching that concept.
1: I love it. One question that came up for me while you were talking there is, I'm really curious how exploring motion, exploring movement through your life has influenced your sensory experience in, in the other senses. So I'm a, I'm a longtime fan of Leonardo da Vinci who speaks of his um, success in, in so many different areas, being a polymath. He attributes it to depth of awareness of his sensory experience. And so Someone who explores movement to the to the again. I know you don't you know, like the word depth, but that's the only word that I'm able to come up with. I'm curious if if you also find yourself exploring hearing and flavors and sight and perhaps smells in in the same nuanced way.
0: Definitely, that's something again that we are not usually trained to think of. For example, bodybuilding, train the muscle, and then. Later on came concepts of training the fascia, the the connective tissue, and then came another concept of training the tendons. Okay, but this can be applied all across the board. Go the full way. You can train the senses, you can train awareness in the way that awareness is always perfect and of the same intensity, but as it manifests into a certain aspect then you can train that aspect of awareness awareness itself is already full potency one or zero <laughs> and it's always one it's always there but then as it manifests you can let it come out stronger or weaker or in in different qualities and ways and the same for senses uh, people lost uh, a lot of people during covid lost the sense of smell and uh a friend, uh, it happened to him and asked me, I said, train back your sense of smell. Wake up in the morning, take cloves, take, take uh, uh, cinnamon, take uh, citrus, smell and look with your awareness for the tiniest hints of that and the various colors and textures inside that smell. And you will see that you will regain back Slowly, slowly, slowly in that process. And that can be taking ad nauseum. You can train your senses to become very potent. So that's something that most people don't realize. But because I've been living this journey for many years now, my sensory experience, I guess, is very different than people's. For me, it's it's normal, but the way that I use my eyes, my hearing, my sense of smell, my sense of taste has been totally transformed because those are movements. And in order to pursue some of the movement aspects that I have pursued, I had to develop that. Like, for example, the use of the eyes is so primary in the way that we move the body, it's very difficult to avoid training the eyes and and achieving a certain delicate control of the eyes if you are pursuing movement. Uh, And that happens in athletics, in very specific scenarios, um, but Because I've been switching the scenario so much, I've gained more and more insight into the general aspect of it.
1: It sounds like it would also transfer into learning, right? The ability to think on a different level. Um,
0: Is that that something you've experienced? I think so. Um, I've I've been saying, I've been talking about this for many years now, a few decades. Uh, I think... If your interest is within developing thought, you have no better bet, not mathematics, not physics, not not philosophy, than movement. I think this is the primary vehicle from, from which the brain evolved into being what it is. And this is the primary fuel source for developing cognitive abilities. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a mathematician from doing movement, but if you're examining your cognition in new scenarios all the time, you'll discover that the person who is engaging in diverse movement scenarios in a methodological way, not just chaotic, will have a much better chance of, of uh, addressing that new scenario.
1: So there's two questions that come out of that. And I think the first one's hopefully, maybe not a short one, but I'll ask it. Is movement meditation for you? It's, it sounds like it becomes,
0: there's a overlap. The word meditation means nothing these days. It's mentioned uh, by so many different people in so many different ways that it, it becomes totally empty. It has been abused, the word. So I'm afraid to use it. Movement can be in many ways an anti-meditation of a sort as well. Again, I can, I can present movement for commercial uh, ways or for inspiration to make a YouTube clip and to say how my movement is, my meditation, etc. But really, if I have to hone all of myself in order to perform a certain movement, then by achieving that movement, I actually decrease the demands over my system over time. So in reality, it becomes... Anti-meditation in that sense of being present, and we must make sure that that doesn't happen. Hence, my focus again on not just doing things well, but doing things that you suck at all the time. It's a much better bet. It's a much better way to address what really needs to address, because if everything changes all the time, then what is constant emerges from the water, because that is all the time fluctuating. And that is really I, that is that presence. That is that objective of meditation that many people try to hit. That I, that stability, that stillness in in the background of everything else that fluctuates. So to give an example, I'll give an example from bodybuilding someone will train, will really focus on the muscle and squeeze and perform the exercise, mind-muscle connection, we've heard it a million times before, but then someone who actually performs the same movement with 10 times the weight will not be focusing on that sensation of the muscle at all. For example, a powerlifter versus a bodybuilder. And, and you know that. And, and, and that's, that's a bit hinting of a certain quality that emerges there i can do a one-arm handstand and i can think about whatever because i can do it well and if i can't do it well i need to really focus everything the first weeks when i just got my one-arm handstand that was a focus practice i wouldn't call it meditation but an extreme focus practice but after a while it becomes the opposite. So th- those are just some thoughts about it. Now, at the same time, now I'll, I'll flip it to the other direction. Movement can be the real meditation. In essence, that can be a little bit critical of meditation as we know it, sitting meditation. Many people, they, are talk, they are, have done a lot of seated meditation and practice presence and awareness. But if you take them, and you try to put any kind of feedback on their focus, you'll be surprised at the result. An outside feedback. For example, take a stick and balance it on your fingers. Everybody can do that pretty much for 30 seconds. No problem. Take an advanced meditator, have him do it for 30 seconds. If he's successful, tell him now do it for one hour without dropping the stick you'll discover that his focus cannot be applied well into this new scenario. And he will lose it after a few minutes, one moment of lack of awareness, and boom, it falls. And that's, for me, touching the weakness of the container, even seated meditation, where if you're truly interested in achieving present, continuous presence, regardless of scenario, you you have a better bet to do it through multiple containers, and using some kind of a feedback where it's possible.
1: You said when referring to movement as the gateway to an optimized mind, right? So you used the the, the example of you know becoming better, a better thinker or mathematician. You mentioned applying a, speci- a specific methodology, and I'm curious what that methodology is. You said as long as you're method- uh, methodical or, or, or you're applying a specific, specific methodology. I don't want to quote you.
0: This is really the heart of my work. This is really what most people don't know about my work. They cannot appreciate it and because they will never know it from outside. This is truly the essence of what I call movement practice. I don't need to take my shoes off to count the number of people that I believe are addressing it well, from my point of view. Of course, it's just my point of view why because some systems are all about the protocols if you get the right protocol you get the result but this practice is all about error management it's not about the protocol you can i can give you all the protocols as people are doing and you still have no results whatsoever in terms of general movement development etc because it's all about managing the day-to-day problems that are arising individually. So, for example, in our online uh, platform that we offer people training, there is no program you can get. You, you can't buy a program. It's all individual and you are being monitored by a person on the other side constantly receiving feedback, which makes it very cumbersome, very expensive, and very difficult to do in terms of sending videos and being all the time being watched and being... But, It is the real practice. And that is also something that actually appears in almost everything, also in bodybuilding. For example, you can give me your program. It doesn't mean nothing. It has many aspects of problem-solving day-to-day that I need to learn how to do. This is the order in the chaos. And the way that I try to switch the task and construct the practice As I go along the way and I try to do the same with my students, of course, you make many mistakes, but because my focus has been on it for many decades, I've 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 gained certain insight into this process. And I I see that a lot of people, that's where they fail, they they try to get certain protocols. They just try to repeat the protocols, whether it's you know chemical protocols, uh, whether it's nutritional protocols, whether it's a movement protocol, it's just dead protocols. It it gives something, but the real secret is not there, especially in this practice. The real secret is not there. It's super individualized. Every scenario changes and switches, and it's never the same. You never step into the same river twice.
1: You know, I'm very curious about your childhood. So in North America, school is... I'm sure you're familiar with, with somewhat about the North American schools. Did you grow up in, in Israel? Yeah. Was your, was your experience as a child, one of, of, you know, convention, was it normal? Was it, you know, quote unquote normal, meaning you went to, like in America, you know, you go to a certain school or Canada, I'm from Canada, go to a certain school, you learn the same curriculum as everybody else. You line up in a line, you get in trouble if you're not in line, it's, it's inside a box. And I'm curious where the, the inspiration for, this depth of exploration and curiosity came from?
0: I think um, part of it is something that emanates from inside. Some combination, some lucky combination of attributes. Uh, I haven't been blessed with many physical attributes or that I would really could have used during my, my practice. Um, But certain other attributes of way of thinking, way of feeling, certain sensitivity was there. And the second part is proper environment for self-education. And this, my mother has been a big part of that. Instead of educating me, she took care that I will educate myself, which was a much smarter and intuitive way for her. She, She didn't Need to specifically think about it, some of the things she did, but other things she just naturally understood, which allowed me to construct a certain way of being, which is very resilient, is very autonomous, and it ena- enabled me to, to navigate my life, I think, in, in a better way in, in many scenarios. And this relates to what you mentioned all these rules and all these educational attempts that are being slapped on us. Which are actually robbing us the opportunity of developing the real skill behind everything. For example, uh, if you tell me um, not to lie as a parent, you make me a slave. Even if I don't lie, I'm not doing it from any motive of my own. I'm doing it out of fear, I'm doing it out of trying to please, etc. So this is not actually genuinely rising from me and occurring from the right place. But opposite, I've been now robbed of that opportunity to a large extent. While if you create the conditions in which I will feel the sting of my lies naturally and alone, then you would educate me in a passive way much more deeply and will affect me for the rest of my life. And I think that we receive certain opportunities of that sort, but most of these opportunities are being stolen in modern culture in that regard. Hence, we are growing into these machinery things, which we, we, we view as normal these days. And um, it, it carries a lot of problems. And uh, at least on the other side, you. Again, at a certain point in life and with certain difficulties and, and depression or sense of empty uh, meaninglessness, you are having the opportunity to regain that. And that connects a lot to my practice. I've heard one, Steve Paxton said that uh, he, he, he created this um, contact improvisation, the, this practice, because he wanted to finish his physical development, which he never f- was allowed to finish as a child. So it's very similar for me. I, 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 I continue to create for myself the opportunities for self-education, not by reading the books and again, getting the no, 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 don't do this, do this, etc., but by receiving opportunities to naturally feel and sense my mistakes and as well other areas which are more, clicking into place. So that has been present to a certain extent in my childhood, as my mother didn't do much. She didn't do all the wrong shit. <laughs> and and, and she, she gave me unconditional love that supported me and asked me a lot of questions and arose my curiosity that I have to dig and I have to find by myself. And that later manifested into whatever I wanted it to manifest in my life and uh, so mom thank you very much <laughs> and uh i think this is also a role for us as partners as uh, wives husbands uh, parents brothers sisters to to also support this because we all need that that self education
1: that's the best parenting advice i've ever heard and i'm going to think about that a lot I'm, i have two young children and great my greatest um value in life and i everything i do ultimately is is a self exploration so that I can be better for them? And that sounds like it's exactly what uh, everyone should be doing to uh, one, give their, themselves an opportunity to explore their emotions and, and their feelings and, and who they are, and, and also for your children. So thanks, you know, that was, that was awesome.
0: Sure, uh, sure. Don't, don't I, I just want to offer one last thing about it is, of course, this idea sounds great, but when sure. you will go to apply it, of course, you will meet many difficulties, of course. which good. You should deal with those difficulties. For example, how do I facilitate these scenarios for my child? And this has to be struggled with. This has to be contemplated. This has to be pursued. I don't want to offer solutions even when I have them because, again, I rob you the opportunity. But if you wish to really become a better parent, You should devote time for this. And this is the most precious thing that you can give to your child, not money. You can give your child your time. That's the most precious thing. This thought, this care. And then you will discover that many of those conditions and those situations in which you allow the child to really receive that experience, they involve some things that we often slap a negative context on. And that's a huge challenge, especially in North America, but not nowadays, Western culture. And unfortunately, this is, you see the, the difficulty, for example, of democracy dealing with certain, certain instances these days, certain occurrences. We reach a point where this fake good that comes from a good orientation, but have misled the good for something else, it reached a at the ceiling. And uh, now you have to facilitate certain evils, I would even dare to say, in order to create the real good. The real good is not human moral good bad. It is related to awareness. More aware, good, more good. Less aware, less good. Mm -hmm. And that is oftentimes require experiences. For example, experiencing hunger, to a certain extent, really develop something inside of us. But we, we've been robbed this opportunity most, most of our lives. And, and this is something that, of course, I don't recommend you to starve your child. But, for example, I remember a scenario where my dad took me on a walk in nature, and I was really small, and he miscalculated. He thought it was a very short walk, and it ended up being this six-hour walk. And he didn't take food with him. But I didn't experience it as something that he did to me because I realized he just made a mistake, and now we are here, and we have to finish this. And this created a chain of events inside of me. It only years after that I realized that such opportunities helped me get something. We used to go hunting with our parents. We used to experience the need to not move for many hours, to be quiet, to smell, um, to 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 do very physically effortful things and these evils are really necessary for certain growth, certain self education
1: and yet society is removing that from, from our front mirror right or from in front of us we just we simply can't and or making it harder And so thank you for sharing that. I will definitely take that into consideration. As I mentioned before we started recording, I hope to come to your event coming up here in August and exclusively because I want to be able to move at a level that my kids move and teach them how to move and pass it on to them. Because I just see the value. I just see the value, as you say, in awareness. Like awareness is the root of all change. Uh, You know, in order to make a shift, we have to become aware of it. And um, yeah, that's that's tremendous. So I want to come back to... What it would look like for someone sitting at home right now saying, okay, I want to start uh, an intentional movement practice. I want to start moving in a way that you would suggest to get, get out of the box, we'll say, right? Or to start exploring the small frame.
0: Okay. The real answer people don't like to hear, but that's the real genuine answer I can give. In this state of hearing this, being inspired, the only answer can be education. This is the only answer. We can apply certain things and we can start to play with certain things, but definitely the majority of our investment in this beginning phase is to study these concepts. And these are very weird way of using our mind, using our body, using our awareness. And it takes education. Um, Just like if if I ask you about bodybuilding, then I can, You can give me the the simple global gym workout three times, 8 to 12 or whatever, and that would be immediate. Cool. But the real answer, if you wish to become involved with bodybuilding, would be to educate yourself on so many different things and also at the same time start to practice. And that's the answer, the only answer that I can also give. So definitely a huge investment in the beginning, in terms of education, which is rare, difficult to find. And then starting to experiment with simple things. And I've provided a lot of free content over the years, potent, simple for people uh, to to start to apply. Various little YouTube clips that you can watch and old blog posts that you can read and and look at and posts. Uh, some of my students have downloaded all my Facebook posts over the years, made made uh, like a, 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 a notebook from it. There is a lot of information there that this is the start of education. It's free. It's available. This is something that I put out. There has been other authors talking about movement, uh, people like Moshe Feldenkrais. I definitely recommend to, to read uh, his writings. He, he was talking about this stuff. You know, more than half a century ago, in in a very very developed way, he was ahead ahead of the game totally. And um, there has been other contemporaries, but for me, Moshe is very unique in the level of his thought of movement and and these things. The level of application not always so. <laughs> Sometimes I, I have some. I have a feeling that a lot of the work has been missed or or misunderstood or took another uh, face to it. But but I'm sure there are people who are doing a good job with that as well. The thinking that the the basic awareness that develops out of this education should be carried into our day to day. One of the first things is to observe the body for as long and as often as you can during the days. And this is something like we spend a lot of time running loops of thoughts, just endless thoughts of the same manner of the past and of the future and, and grinding water, as we say, with that. A huge, huge improvement would be to start to notice the body, body parts little by little, as it becomes more elaborate, you will start to experience. So this happens with usually a few years of practice, a certain sensation of body unity, some kind of a general sensation of self that is very physical, not me feeling my knee or my hand. And this is very transformative. I think this is very important. This sense of self is a sense of movement, is a sense of the body, in motion and later it expands beyond the body as we know it as it's a continuum and this is something that can really improve so you can do it during your weightlifting. you can do it during washing the dishes and you might feel oh i don't want to do it now because i have all these things to think about but if you truly observe you see that those loops of thoughts don't arrive anywhere we, we rarely have like constructive, functional, cognitive flow that reach the conclusion and is useful for us. Most of the time it's just grinding water and only contributing to negativity, to holding on and attachment and all these problems that we mentioned before. Hence, feeling the body while doing things is a very powerful thing and immediately it can be applied and then on a more pragmatic level i recommend people to start to have certain practice around different positions of the body different postures like for example i talked a lot about squatting as a basic way to fold the whole body it's like this basic thing you you just fold your body we don't fold the body we're mostly extended even when we sit, even when we lie down and definitely when we stand up it's all the time extended and hence, like a very powerful thing would be to experience this full contraction in. And I created some materials for that, my squat challenge, etc. It's very transformative. And this is something simple, not necessarily a starting point because there is no starting point, but it's definitely a good place to start. People with more shoulder issues, hanging, the same thing. I created a lot of materials for that. And again, we're doing pull-ups and we're doing all these power exercise, but hanging allows us again to elongate to use gravity to realign the whole structure it's very useful for the shoulders but not only and that's also something very nice to do another aspect that i put out is spinal waves since the spine is so is such a basic element it is really us in terms of movement if if you want to have a good a a, a good part that will affect a lot of movement, it's the spine. And uh, this is a major problem, by the way, with the modern neutral spine phenomenon, where we are actually eliminating movement from the spine, hence we eliminate movement from the rest of the body. And usually it's in an attempt to protect ourselves without realizing that the problem got created in the beginning because of lack of movement of certain aspects. So you will not see back pain on the folk dancer from Slovakia because he took care of these little motions. But you will see back pain in the gymnast, and you will see back pain in the couch potato. One is moving too much in a very specific and aggressive way. The other is not moving enough. And in between, we have those people which are rare, that are moving all the little segments and articulating them in different ways. And the spinal wave is something very nice to start to construct. And there is also these materials on YouTube you can find from me. You
1: yeah, got a ton of amazing stuff on YouTube. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, like with Lyco like has with everyone in the gym, right? It's so linear. Like we spoke of in the beginning, everything is so linear. There's seldom rotation involved. Certainly not anything that looks like a spinal wave. And you start to lose movement. And as you said, if the spine becomes tight, your body's gonna to try to pick it up with the shoulder or the hip, and then those start becoming injured, which is so common. And so um yeah, there there's there's tons there. What does your current movement practice look like, you know? Do you is it just like from morning to night whenever you get an opportunity, or is it really intentional as far as like carving a specific time of the day?
0: The practice uh, with the years, it, it started to blue. It was I always had these like sessions running, like in a... First, uh, I, I did like uh, one session when I was still in school. And later it became two sessions because I just, that's, that's what I do. And then it became like these two four-hour sessions, which is like anyone that respects himself works for eight hours a day. So I, I went for that as well. Little by little, it started to become practice. Practice is synonymous for me with the word living. I'm practicing, because there is no living, there is just an illusion of living. The practice brings me the hope and the connection to living. When people think of the, oh yeah, I don't have time to do this, I don't have time to do this, but what do you have time for? When you actually examine it, there is no life. There is just illusion of life. There, there is these things that we have to do seemingly, but we can do them while practicing, while becoming more aware, while becoming more in tune. So a lot of time, people ask me, how do you get the time to read so much, to do this? It's like, there is plenty of time. There is plenty of time. I, I'm practicing all every moment that I can. Sometimes during my sleep, as my practice invades that, I find myself practicing on some level. And I think this is what happened happen naturally with time and, and with uh, love. There is no, you know, Charles' point of view about it. There is no discipline. There is just love to what you do. Or you can also say there is obsession. It's a bit, maybe sound negative, but you're just you're just interested. You're just like, you just want to do that. Yeah, and that, that's that's my practice. So I use every opportunity, even now, but I'm, I'm carrying certain awareness of my body, certain awareness of my spine. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring some of that still into the presence because this podcast is part of my practice. There is no life. And after I finish, I start to practice. It is part of my practice. It is part of my way of being. This is uh, something that takes time to digest, I think, but It it is a good, it's good to, to try to address that, try to become more in tune with it. If people feel that they need a break, it is coming from a place of going back to sleep. It is a yearning to go back to sleep, to mindlessness. And this yearning is natural because we train that mindlessness day in and day out with our iPhones, with our social media, with everything that we do. Hence, of course, your whole being aligns to help you. You wish to be mindless, let me help you. Now it's very difficult for you to be mindful. Every time you're mindless, you're being received, you receive like a a present. It's easy, it's fun, it feels good, but eventually it robs you of everything that you care about. And the, so that's for me the concept of practice. I, I also get tired sometimes from being involved, but I I go back to that. I inspire myself back into that, and I and I try to be more present and more in practice, more in mode of practice.
1: Has there been a uh, maybe an influence or uh, an, uh, an event in your life that? caused a big shift in your way of thinking or was it always just a progressive narrowing toward where you are now or was there some things in your life where it was like oh my goodness this this is what it is
0: it's a good question i think there is like a general movement a certain momentum that builds through life which is more like very mild and quite linear but then there are these spikes and waves and and for a long time you can be in a certain state of being and then all of a sudden you have a huge jump and i think often we mention either these steps and wave progression or the slow linear one but actually they're both occurring together so i had many events like that and i don't think they are like so unique i think i think we all we all have events from which we can grow and use and just sometimes it's a bit more hidden it's a bit more Tricky. And this this concept is also related very much to suffering. That suffering is there because it's very useful, because it's required. I I think like the end wishing for the end of suffering is wishing for the end of everything. Suffering is the school that we are here for. We are here to join this seminar. We are not perfected. You know, some people offer, they have reached, reached it. If you're here, you haven't reached it. And this is a schooling, and the schooling occurs through certain suffering and difficulties that are being resolved. And I think this might be a little misunderstanding of the end of suffering. That's the end of suffering. Understanding that suffering is part of how we evolve and do, hence, you go for the conscious suffering. You engage with the suffering instead of waiting for it to fall on you and maybe even not being aware of how you manipulate it for your growth. And that's real suffering that we should avoid. So those are some events, that are some difficult events, at school and a kid, or, or something happens in your life, or, or a relationship related, or business related, and then... If you're a practitioner, you manipulate, you manipulate everything, you digest everything for your growth. Everything is food. Everything is useful.
1: Brilliant. Uh, Have you ever experienced in maybe the last, you know, call it 20 years,
0: any injuries or any joint pain? Very little, very little, because my secret is that I'm a big coward. Hence, I've been able to Always avoid the things that next to me, people in martial arts or the military or anywhere that I was in, in competitive athletics, etc. I saw people getting injured. And I think this is also part of my limiting factor that I, I'm very resistant to certain change and had to work on that over the years, but it also protected me tremendously. I've experienced some injuries here, there, but relatively for what I did and for the time I did it and for the amount of practice, like I'm saying many, many hours a day, every day, that's what I do. My body is a body of a child. That has been also a big eye-opener as I saw like, people over the years degrade and have difficulties. And then other students of mine, I saw a difference. I saw something else that is there to balance it out, to protect, um, and, and that, that is a certain attribute of it. For me, one of the proper practices. The reason is not the usual reason that people think of. Uh, usually we are mentioning longevity and we mention health, two words that I have a bit of a nausea from and, and have ti- got tired from because this longevity, uh, it, it comes on a cost. It, it, it comes with a cost. It, it, comes, it comes with a certain price that you pay as an individual in your evolution. And also it comes as a cost of the global, of the, of the, the, major, the, the big pool. Uh, if you survive long, somebody else doesn't. There is always a cost. And the other thing is like this perfect health, but sometimes we need to actually damage our health to get certain, certain progression, certain attributes. If we are trying to aspire for perfect health, we are moving against the grain because from the moment we are born, we are dying. We are in a constant death. We are aging and dying. We are not living, we are dying. So hence, this immediately creates a collision and immediately creates a problem that starts slowly, slowly to build up, to build up, to build up. Look at, for example, for, for example, my beard, my white beard. When I, when I got a few white hairs, I could, <laughs> I could paint them black, but eventually my whole beard will turn white. And now I have to paint it daily and to keep it in that shape. And underneath the surface, it is white, but I hide it. Let's say I, I am able to hide it, but other aspects will spill out. So my skin will wrinkle. So I hide that. Another aspect will come out. My eyes will deteriorate. And you see the quality of the eyes in older people. Everything, you are just creating a resistance. And eventually, it will eat you up. Eventually, it will build up to huge magnitude. What I'm saying is, I don't don't say abandon this. Let it wash over you. Let it degrade you. Take care of yourself, but know a limit. Health is not a good epitome to focus on. Neither is longevity. Anyone that does that and put all the eggs in this basket will eventually, from basic logic, as I said, will pay the price. Because in this game, we all go to the same spot and we all lose that game. But if your game is different, you might get away with it. You might get away with it a certain growth, a certain progression using your years until the last moment, and who knows, maybe even beyond in a certain aspect of development. So for me, this is much more powerful. I get a lot of health benefit from my practice, but I also know when to say enough. This is a little bit of unhealthy habits are very healthy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is an a good example of of the container creates the demands, right? So if, if there is no container, there's no demands. If your aspiration is just health, then it's like, well, based on what criteria, right? So if you, if you're in your case, you have a you have a demand that you place on yourself, and that you know, so for example, if I'm competing in bodybuilding or if I'm coming to train with you in three weeks, I'm putting a demand on myself that allows me to up level everything I do uh, in every area, right? So I'm going to pay attention to how I sleep, how I hydrate, how I nourish, how how I recover. And that's an optimized living experience, but it's moving toward this worthy ideal in this container, to use your term.
0: Yeah. You, you understood it beautifully. I, I wish more people would be able to conceptualize such things so, so quickly and so clearly because we depend on this understanding. We don't, we don't have bad intentions, but we end up in hell, paved with good intentions, as sure. they say.
1: And this is important for us. Just live to the fullest in what you're passionate about, and I love that you said uh, obsession can sometimes be misconstrued. It's not misconstrued; it's only misconstrued by people who don't understand what we do. You know, it's it has to be obsession to take it to the level that you do and, and that I did, right? There's, and and I didn't see it as obsession. It's like this is the only thing I like. I just love this. This is what I want to do. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, and even the point where you crash and burn at a certain point is needed. But for yeah. you to make the next metamorphosis and change. But if yeah. not, if all you wish to do is bodybuilding, what happens then? You're done. Game over. And that's that means that the, that the proper phase change and shift did not occur. You, the practice didn't prepare you for the next phase important to do and to address in the way that we practice.
1: And, and in my experience, and I'm curious if you would agree with this, the reason that people aren't allowed to go through the metamorphosis is they never allow themselves to be fully submersed in the Like I was able to leave bodybuilding knowing I'd left it all on the table because I gave it all. I gave it my all, right? When I was there, it was 100% submersed. And uh, most people are not. Most people are, are, you know, halfway in, halfway out. They're uncertain. And that's what I think leaves the, the degree of just unsettled business, right? It's an unfinished business. I, I want to do more. And they're not able to leave. It's almost like it becomes
0: their passion, becomes their nemesis. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But maybe it is not. Maybe it's because you have other aspects to yourself, Mm. which somehow along the way, you've continued to develop and promote a way of being. First, I am a human being. I don't need the practice to be human. I'm I'm already good. I'm here. I'm here. This thing to practice in order to be, but in essence, not as being, being present, but to get the V. I am okay. This is wrong. To practice, to be a bodybuilder, to gain your humanity is wrong. You are already human then you engage with this practice later you might engage with another practice and the common thread is your humanity for me this is synonymous with movement synonymous with practice is something that we have to carry we have to first connect to that so i also went through this transformation and started with acrobatic movements and bodybuilding and and doing and and being busy with First beautiful bodies and beautiful movements. And then eventually you don't want, you do want to do ugly movements. Why? Because as we see in art, what goes beyond beauty, ugliness, that's the next level. <laughs> so y- you find things you, beautiful that you, you thought they were ugly and they were empty. And, you know, all of a sudden your whole, your whole point of view transforms. And I think like, again, in the way that we are educated, we are being pushed into, into being just that thing that we practice instead of realizing we are practicing ourselves using this. In bodybuilding, it's a known route, very similar to like certain Olympic sports. You know that you can do it up to a certain age. And that actually helps because it's in the back of your mind from day one. But then other, th- other places, I find people get stuck on way worse. Even though, of course, I can give you the example of the dried prune- bodybuilders who are have the body of a you know and a face of a dried prune in their eighties, it's a bit sad, not because it's not a good practice, it's because is this the only practice? Is this the only thing that you hang on to because one day after and and you're gone just like just like anyone else and that was the only experience that you gleaned out of life that was the only you know thing so i think this this can be limited that this can be limiting and can be limited
1: i was very blessed when i first started training to uh, meet and you know sort of be mentored by a man who was uh, at the time an 85 year old japanese man who trained twice he owned the gym that i uh, trained in and he, he built all the equipment by hand he was a welder and uh, to, to see his passion and, and at 85 years old, he'd be running across the gym to answer the phone and, you know, he, his ability to move and, and you know, still lift, uh, you know, I think he was 130 pounds or something my like dad still lifting 185 pounds over his head. It uh, was just, just phenomenal to me. And and so to watch his, uh, how it became part of his identity, I, I think really impacted me as a person because I'd never experienced someone with that level of passion, that level of, of depth. And, and, who, who just truly live, lived and loved and embodied what it was. It was a really great, I just would sit back and observe it. And, uh, you know, unfortunately the man ended up losing his gym because he was so old that people start, started just coming and not paying him. But, uh, it was a great learning opportunity for me to experience someone who had spent 60 years or more doing the exact same thing. And still, as you say, he still loved it, but he still, he still felt, still felt like a kid at play. And, uh, yeah, that really feels like, uh, I can't, I think of, you know, certainly for me, Something to aspire to, and it doesn't have to be in that bodybuilding state. But it's just like the joy and and the vitality that still existed at 85 and 87. I think when he lost his gym, was just um, just remarkable and just inspirational for me.
0: This, this, yeah, this is the kind of example sometimes that really go deep, even without realizing it. Back then, sometimes only later on, I would offer for you to dig inside yourself and ask. What inside Ben is still the same driving forces that are happening today as they happened back then, and you will discover something much more precious than bodybuilding or podcasting or whatever. Yeah. And and, and that that thing is often not, not research, it's just taken for granted it's like i'm i'm a a successful guy so i go for the next success like for example you have these uh, gymnasts often ex-gymnasts and they always become businessmen or in israel the special op units that are graduating from the military they always become these hyper high-tech successful guys or doctors medical doctors why the difficulty of the way so the difficulty is now your master and you're a slave. That's not a good orientation just to go for it for sake of difficulty.
1: Right, but is it, is it perhaps the pursuit of challenge, right? It's like the, so for that, I, I do that all the time. It's like, so I want to do things because I think it's exploring the, the ledge of, of what I'm capable of.
0: That's very different because if you understand what you just said, the pursuit of the challenge for what for self growth and development yeah. so the real master is you you are supposed to gain something out of these challenges i can have you run marathons i can have you do 24 hour of burpees the fact it's difficult doesn't mean we should do it because it's difficult but we should pursue challenges for growth for self-education it looks very similar one is an 80-year-old bodybuilder, and one is an 80-year-old bodybuilder. And inside, you don't know which one of them did the real practice and really gained something inside his humanity and inner growth, a development of the totality of that person. And another just did bodybuilding and pursued the certain development of the body, period. And it's very different. We, that's why I say it's it's a faceless practice because you won't see from the face of it what I'm actually doing inside. One person does handstands and get handstands. The other person does handstand, and become enlightened. The woman sitting in the supermarket sits eight hours a day on her ass and gets depressed and a, pay ch- and a small paycheck. The monk sits eight hours a day and become enlightened. It looks the same. But what we do inside is the real important, this unofficial practice. And that's related to this concept. That's why difficulties are there. That's why suffering should be cho- chosen to a certain extent, should be embraced.
1: That's, that's beautiful. And that, that was a learning opportunity for me during my life is um, when, you, when you choose it, when it's the I get to mindset versus the I have to mindset, it completely changes the entire experience. And so I think for me, it was is what do you choose? And just as you said, it's like you're going you're going to suffer, either suffering is going to experience, it's going to experience you or you're going to choose it. Um, I think that's an amazing, amazing um, piece of advice. I Thank hope,
0: you.: Yeah, I hope that it it helps those who listen.:
1: <laughs> You're a wise man, Ido. I really appreciate you making the time. Um, this is an incredible conversation. I, I value that so much. Um, we will link to your website, your social media, and is there any other message you want to leave in parting?
0: No. Yeah, I think we, we covered a lot of uh, beautiful aspects. I would just like to promote more, more practice, more personal practice. Not my practice, your practice, each person's practice in a way of, in a way of being, in a way of becoming. Um, and I think this is missing. Uh, we replaced it first with religions, and we replaced it with all kinds of uh, practices, but not the practice as it should be. This concept, I think, is very powerful, and also very modern and and very conceptual, which makes it sometimes very difficult. Something that uh, I, I, I view as purely good, because it brings more awareness, more more presence, as a society, we gain the benefit as as parents, as as leaders, as educators. The more we support this, the better we do. Yeah, sometimes I feel this is lost inside the big offerings that are around already.
1: It feels like childlike curiosity or or exploration is what that that's what it sounds like you're saying to me. I don't know if that if that feels accurate.
0: It's definitely a huge part of it is this beginner freshness, this this childlike freshness the experience of the first time, because it is the first time. It is always the first time. There is not the same river twice. So that 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 quality is definitely a quality of the practitioner, of the one who is going through his life, who is present in his life. And, and, and a, a result of, again, a result of your difficulties. This cannot be just arrived at like this it, it cannot be there because you heard this concept this must be unfolded into you into every cell and how only through practicing so the, the, the this podcast or or a book or anything is just is, is nothing it's, it's just a, a very very mild arrow pointing at a certain direction the actual becoming is this dressing the situations dressing the containers using them and transforming ourselves each time a little bit more each time in a little different way every moment of our days can be can be used if you if you practice this uh, state of mind and this is important, powerful, transformative in the way that I see it. Ito,
1: thank you very much. Truly incredible.
0: Thank you, Ben.
1: Hey, thanks so much for joining me here on the Muscle Intelligence Podcast, ladies and gents. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ito. So much wisdom. I'm going to go back and listen again and definitely plan to have him back on the podcast and go a little bit deeper. Maybe I'll be so lucky to do one if I get to join him in Germany for his movement camp, which is coming up. You can check out Ido at idorpotal.com. You can check out on Facebook and Instagram where he's very, very um, present and posting often just incredible wisdom around movement and the insights he has in his movement practice. Muscle intelligence is about ultimately empowering you with the knowledge and skill set to show up as the best version of yourself. And sometimes in life... We're not exposed to challenge. We're not exposed to the opportunity to grow. As Ito spoke about in this podcast, humans need challenge. We need to discover for ourselves what we're capable of. And too often we're put into this container that is maybe safe and maybe prevents us from learning about who we are and what we're capable of. And then we start developing inadequacies or fear or you know, lack of self-confidence because we've never developed our own thoughts, or our own capabilities for ourselves. Uh, and that's one of the great missions of muscle intelligence is to intentionally expose you to not only the greatest minds in the world, but also the greatest practices in the world to allow you to step into who you are, step into who your soul knows you are. So if this stuff resonates with you, uh, don't forget to follow muscle intelligence also on Instagram and follow Muscle Intelligence on Facebook. You can jump in the private Facebook group that ultimately is um, supporting you and living your greatest life in a body of love. Thank you to our sponsors for today, Organifi, organifi.com slash muscle. Thanks guys, appreciate you being here and we will see you next time.
2: Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode.